Welcome along to another episode of Make Life Work. I am Cy Jobling, at Cy on Twitter. And for this series, I will be talking to a selection of people from around the tech scene about finding time to work on side projects, along with maintaining a healthy lifestyle with full-time jobs. This week, I've invited along Dan Blundell, tech lead at LGSS in the Midlands. I met Dan several years ago on the tech meetup circuit. Dan and I have a shared passion about tech communities and a lot of experience working with local government. I was always amazed at how he's managed to balance such a wide variety of work, life, family and even education in his schedule. Dan seemed like the perfect candidate to invite along for this series and talk about his experiences. Let's get into it. Welcome along, Dan. Thanks, mate. You're a bit too kind there in your introduction, but I appreciate it. I'll just say thank you. Too kind? How do you say that? Well, you say that. It's always amazing. Well, just for me, it's just like existing. You just do the right thing where you can, right? And, and kind of life just takes you from there. Is that not how it works? Bit of blagging, is that what you're saying? I didn't say that. Yeah, that was, that's all you. I'm all for a bit of blagging. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Blagging and, and adapting, that's all we can do. Indeed. I think as, as parents, which we'll talk about later, you, you learn the art of blagging quite well as well. Yeah, how much conviction can you convey with just a stare uh, becomes... <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure I can put that down on a CV or something, but yeah, I'm hoping it's becoming a, a skill. Some, some empathetic line managers might appreciate that one in the future. It's just, just a glare across yeah. desks. We're just, you what now? Um, without the words. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and maybe a bit about how you got there as well? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I work for a shared service in local government, which I'll kind of come back to as to what that means, because it's a little bit of an uh, interesting one, as as people always ask me a fair few questions on that. But I work in, in essentially a digital design team in uh, local government, we do everything from service design with services. So that would be like social care and children's services, right the way through to libraries and council tax and all those interesting, contentious things. So we do service redesign and we build uh, potentially either buy or build software solutions to meet people's needs. We do it for three, three different local authorities, predominantly uh, across Cambridgeshire, Northamptonshire, and Keynes. And we work with business or service areas within those councils to, to hopefully make dealing with government a little bit less laborious, taxing, difficult, painful to try and alleviate some of that. So, yeah, I lead the technical team uh, within the digital service team here. And what that really means is I deal with a lot of software, but also a lot of mentoring, coaching of, of software engineers as well. So you, you've kind of gone through the ropes of developing, designing and all that stuff and into a leadership role now. Yeah, so I start, well, I started, weirdly, I started in a, in a customer service team. I built a bunch of little tools because the job they were asking us to do was, was kind of a bit ridiculous. Um, used some software engineering skills that I'd kind of been, had bubbling away in the background at evenings and weekends, building websites for friends and that kind of stuff. Uh, built some tools, moved into an IT team, software engineer, did the kind of senior lead dev, did a bunch of architecture work, and then kind of got in this bit of a conflicting space where they weren't really meeting people's needs. They weren't well-designed services. They were just putting together software and putting it on people's desktops. And it was just like, this, this is nonsense. Like, 
it's it's quite, just not actually helping people. So I got really interested in kind of how to to blend service design and user experience that I'd kind of become so familiar with in the the web dev world and bringing that into some kind of enterprise IT experience and saying, well, actually, when we're choosing products or when we're integrating systems and, and delivering what's deemed kind of back office type IT services, like that doesn't have to be a terrible experience for people. So yeah, and then um, did a lot of that and then progressed through to, to being asked to, to come up with a, uh, our own team to, to do that on a permanent basis. Nice. So how long how long are we talking over that sort of journey then, I guess? Oh, well, I don't know. So we've been doing the shared digital services team now. That's been a five-year journey. So myself and two colleagues here founded that team five years ago. And prior to that, that from, from first being in kind of a software engineering role through to through to founding that team was 10 years it's probably 15 years ish total now that is a nice long journey for you it is at the minute but yeah now it just kind of it all comes flooding back when you ask questions like think, yeah, how long has it actually been because that's that's quite a scary prospect but learn an awful lot and continue to learn an awful lot every single day um which is good it's, it's a really great position to be in to be to be learning so much so frequently for me, it tells me I'm pushing myself continuously, but like just enough. And I think as long as you're pushing yourself just enough, uh, you can maintain some sort of balance and sanity. Yeah, so you, we can we can delve into that some more in a bit, I guess. Mm. Yeah, you're right. But I, I like the idea that you came from that customer service background because you, you had that direct connection with your end users. So you've always understood where they're coming from rather than being a geek that generally sits in the background looking at requirements, making it and not even thinking about who's going to use it. So do you think that's helped your kind of career growth and the way you've gone with that as well? Yeah, I think one of the, one of the biggest advantages of that way, I, firstly, I think it's easier to learn it that way around, being very attached to the technology side or the, or the ins and outs of the technology side specifically, and then having to learn or relearn uh, about users and the way, way people experience what you create. I think it's quite a challenging way to to learn it because the framing you have on the world and your role and everything else is quite fixed on solving problems from from that that viewpoint as opposed to being exposed very early. I mean, even before that, I just worked in like all my kind of uh, pub jobs and working in restaurants and that sort of thing through like mid mid to late teenage years. Like all of that kind of supported that experience of like. From the moment someone steps through a restaurant door, I was taught that that's part of their experience. They pull up in the car park outside. It's all part of their experience. And that just became embedded in my brain. And I think the most significant part of that kind of experience is actually the relation, how easy it is to build relationships with people after that, specifically bridging the gap between an IT team that I currently work in and service areas who who just see IT as the computer they log into and their email and those kind of things. So helping people understand what's possible with technology becomes a lot easier for me and has been a big advantage to me for building relationships with those people because I, I can talk from experience about that customer experience and delivery side and saying how it's going to affect their users um, and their teams and the experience of their service for those customers is, is a it's, it's their language and it's vastly important to them but it's about translating what technology is capable of into business value and that's really all they care about certainly in, in public services as well where where the competition is less 
Um, they're just about delivering value for money um, for taxpayers ultimately. Um, and yeah, there are some some difficult situations for people to be in, but ultimately it's about delivering good customers, customer experiences. So to be able to join up direct customer experience and technology is, is quite a challenging task, but yeah, first-hand experience has helped massively. Mm. I think it's interesting, the, the, the fact that it, this is um, local government, local council, so like you say, the taxpayer is the customer. They're going to give you money regardless, but they still want to see value for what they give you for that for. And I know what it's like when, when you you know, you want to renew your tax or make an inquiry and how painful it can be with some local councils. So how, how have you found working in that way? Have you, do, you, do you get a lot of complaints coming through? Do you get like, you know, your stakeholders are slightly different angle to what you're looking at. They're not looking for profit. They're looking for minimum disruption to their customer, I put in inverted commas. Yeah, I think that that's, that's the challenging part, certainly for the kind of service I work with, we're seen as, well, we uh, certainly early days, we were seen as a bit too disruptive. Um, there is, uh, generally speaking, quite a low appetite for risk. Uh, certainly in some service areas, it is a matter of life and death. There are very vulnerable people that we work with, uh, or the services are delivered to very vulnerable people. And we work with some healthcare organisations as well, who are literally delivering clinical services to people the value proposition to those kind of services has to be safe and pushing the envelope with those people has to come out of trust and has to come out of this sort of more established relationship, which means that we have a very different internal policy within our team about how we generate ideas compared to how we maybe have a relationship of communication and dialogue with services we work with. Um, we're not going to say, start talking them to, to them about how serverless technologies are going to change their life. We're going to talk to them much more from a how safely we can transition their service users from this process to the new one um, with minimal disruption and with all these safety nets in place and all the different things we've thought about. So I think as well, like the investment goes in different places as well, just, certainly just in people's time, the conversations itself. But it, I say it teaches, I think, some really, really good practices. It can be quite restrictive in certain areas. But that I, I would argue, I mean, back to, to kind of some of the stuff we've talked, me and you have talked about previously around how uh, in balancing that emotional drain of knowing which battles to to fight and which ones to kind of endure and which ones to kind of just go, do you know what, this one doesn't matter. I've, I've, I don't need the emotional, I don't have the emotional capacity to, to, to kind of challenge that one right now. It's actually not that big a deal. We'll just move on to something else. Um, but always, especially public services, always just pushing them to be a little bit better because their incentives are different. I mean, you sort of mentioned there, like there's very little competition in a compared to say, a commercial outfit um, because you're not fighting for customers. You say that they've got to pay their council tax legally, but they want to see value out of it. And the politicians play a huge part. Um, so there's, there's an awful lot of there, like really engaging every part of your your organization and really communicating well with people on their level so that it it hits all the things that they value um, and they see that they're going to get something good selfishly for themselves they're, they're always going to need a little bit of that but ultimately we're here to deliver better services for people um, who need it the most so um, and that's a really good purpose-driven mission certainly for me uh, to, to get behind every day yeah because uh, I, I used to work in the fire service back in the noughties really it was and like you, I felt like 
there was a huge responsibility to do the service right for the right people. You did, you're giving back to the community effectively, right? And it, it, it's a nice, it's a feel-good factor for doing that right. Um, and I think you mentioned there, you know, you've got that responsibility, the customer, I'm going to keep putting inverted commas around that one, is just Joe Public. And a lot of them aren't tech savvy either or really want to pay. It's like a car insurance. You just have to pay it. Um, but it sounds like you really kind of, you enjoy that. You, you, you did like the ethical angle of what you're trying to do as well. You feel like you're giving purpose back to out of your job as well. Weirdly, it's reconnecting people as well. So it's, it's, there's a lot of people within certainly what we call the, what we would deem like the more traditional aspects of public service. People who have typically been around maybe quite a long time doing similar sort of roles. And there's quite an energy that comes about from, from working with a team like us who are trying to bring in some maybe lesser known techniques on how to design services or certainly evolving techniques on how to design services and bringing in some technologies that people just didn't even, most people don't even realise exist. But reconnect, ultimately reconnecting people with their own purpose. So when we go and work with uh, people that work with uh, vulnerable children or children in care particularly, those people unfortunately predominantly have to spend most of their time doing admin because it's all about the audit trail and making sure everything's safe in that environment. Whereas actually most of those people, when you get down to it, got into that kind of role to, to fulfill a purpose of making sure that children live safer, healthier lives. But like, I think teachers um, suffer a similar vein where most teachers, it's arguable, but are in, in that kind of role for very different reasons to wanting to mark an, an awful lot of books and filling a lot of forms for Ofsted. But actually, that's what they spend an awful lot of time doing. And it's trying to trying to reconnect people with who their real users are and what their real purpose is. And that that really excites me. And that that brings our team a lot of uh, purpose and joy um, to, to do that kind of stuff. So just reconnect people with the reason they're there. That's nice. Nice to hear that as well. I mean, one thing that's in the back of my mind is when you come to local government, any government services, it's a very archaic industry a lot of red tape, lots of processes in place. How do you find that has affected your lifestyle? Do you, is there a, is it, are they adapting to new ways of working, a bit more aware of you know what industry want to try and do with their people? Um, I mean, can you tell us a little about your working arrangements, like how, what sort of hours you do, whether you work for remotely much, and how that works for you and your team as well? Uh, yeah, so how our team works and how the rest of the organisations that we work with work uh, are quite different. So we've tried to and do have created a, a slightly more startup-like culture, like we have said to the whole team, so including myself, we work from anywhere you like, really. Um, be tends to be, be where your customers are, um, but because a lot of our work, well, almost all of our work is project-based, um, that changes a lot. So we have offices in Northampton, Cambridge and Milton Keynes, but we also have offices that we can work from out in Norwich. We have a uh, shared workspace, uh, like a co co workspace in London. We can go and work out of, um, but equally, everyone is set up to work remotely. And I personally do try and do at least two days at home a week, which helps me out massively. And then kind of one day a week ish, give or take, from each of our three main offices. Strictly speaking, we're on 37-hour, 40-hour uh, work credit contracts, but you do what 
needs to get done. Some mm-hmm. weeks it'll be less, some weeks it'll be an awful lot more. Um, but again, we work flexible hours, we work flexible locations. Um, everything about it is really meeting demand and need. And I kind of try and justify and help the team out with that um, and try and build a bit of trust with the team by saying, it, if that gets too much, it's our job as a, a kind of leadership team to to either scale the team uh, appropriately so that you're not working 60-hour weeks. We do timesheeting and stuff, but we don't do it in a sense of keeping a check. We want to know for how, how big is a project getting? Do we need more capacity? And all of that information is open with the whole team as well, so everyone knows what each other's doing um, and, and how it's working. We've had occasions where people have spotted uh, a friend of theirs in uh, in a different role working 20%, 30% more hours than they probably should be, and they flag it, and they're like, hang on a second, uh, such and such is over there doing way too much. Do they need help? Or they'll flag it to someone else to, to make sure that's supported. So we've got a really trusting, open, safe culture going that's, that's helped that. I'm quite proud of that that part of what we do. Typically, the rest of the organization, is, the rest of the organizations we work with is a little bit less flexible, but we try and protect our team because of the kind of work we do to make sure that that's, that stays and that's, that's a big part of what we do. Oh, it sounds like there's a good balance going on then and your, your, your management, as it were, understand the value of doing that as well. Yeah, hopefully so. We'll kind of try and make sure that as long as we're producing quality work, how it gets done doesn't really matter. They're learning. <laughs> uh, we've talked a lot about work so far. Um, there's three elements to this podcast. Part one is work. Second part is about life. So I know that you, you've recently been publishing a lot more week notes on your own blog. I've been following along for the last few months. Uh, and it would be great to hear, you know, what prompted that and how you've kept that discipline of, you know, doing it on a regular basis. Yeah. So uh, what prompted it was there was a bit of a trend within public sector STEM stems a little bit from the government uh, digital service. If people have kind of come across those, there's a big culture shift towards generally being a lot more open with what they do. I was a little bit more selfish with it, if I'm quite honest. And it was a way of me getting noise out of my brain, particularly. So I, I get home. I, I know now that I get home on a Monday night and I'm zapped, totally fried. Um, and then sort of Tuesday through to Thursday is where the real work happens. And then Friday I try and use as a bit of a reflective day. So that's maybe catching up with people, tying up loose ends. And part of that is now the ritual of writing week notes. It stemmed from a place of just getting the noise out of my brain so that I could feel like I'd achieve more. Certainly when I was just writing software, it was quite easy because I could see the code or I could see the shipped feature uh, or the deployment that happened. Like you felt a lot more connected to the work that you'd done, like stuff that had been done. Whereas as I've moved into a more coaching, mentoring type, leading teams and people kind of role, there's less tangible stuff. Um, and generally, my week feels like it's just constantly full of problems, uh, which can get quite depressing. Um, so I need to find a way of, of kind of making that clearer to myself for my own sanity. Um, so week, week notes for me is kind of a good therapy if nothing else to just say right here's the things i'm pleased with and there's a bit of a format i stole from someone who works at hackney council um which is kind of like a bit of a summary of the week like what stuff i'm pleased with 
um, stuff I'm thinking about, kind of what questions am I asking myself? And then some recommendations. And I kind of played a bit of a, a wild card with the recommendations sometimes. I think one of them was like Miracle Grow or something. It was like it's things that stuck out over my week that are like, this is a significant thing. That's been quite nice because that's a conscious effort for me to be like, right, there was good that happened every week. And as much as I've maybe had to deal with some HR issues or, or some challenging supplier and contract stuff, we've done some good. There are some, some things to really be proud of and be pleased with. And it's where I just kind of saying that. And and the other one was kind of I'm not very good or I haven't been very good at being that open about the things I'm thankful for the people around me and acknowledging that change. So it's a way of doing that as well without being as direct with some of those people because it made them uncomfortable. Um, so that's a slightly different tangent in that some of the people within our team particularly are not big fans of kind of public thank yous kind of stuff and public praise. But weirdly, publishing it on the internet, semi-anonymous, kind of feels like a happy halfway house where it's a way of me saying thank you, probably with just their first name, that if they happen to read that, hopefully that's that's something that that really speaks to them but at the same time that's not a me standing up in front of the whole team bringing them out and giving them a giving them a badge and and and, and a shake of the hand and saying thank you very much which is incredibly uncomfortable for a lot of people so yeah there's a few reasons most of it is just getting the noise out of my head it's, i like the idea of it being therapy going back a few years i started using my drive time to the station and back morning and evening and i'd, I'd verbally just talk about shit that was in my head and it was just like ongoing, you know, it's like, okay, I've, I've got this to do today and blah, blah, blah. I want to, I want to try and do this. It might be side projects, it might be work related, whatever it might be. And then in the evening I'd reflect and sort of go, yeah, so-and-so happened and blah, blah, blah. And I got into a really good habit of just using that time productively to go, right, it's out of my head. I could put this public. And I did try for a, a while just publishing it out onto, I think it was SoundCloud or YouTube. It did. I don't think it actually yielded many responses or feedback from anyone, but I felt an enormous satisfaction of just offloading and actually reflecting myself so you can actually go, actually, it wasn't a bad day. Or, you know what, now I've said it out loud, I need to do this instead. So I can see where you're coming from with that. Did you find that you're, uh, you started to kind of join things up a little bit more? I started to find that we're... I started referencing previous week's week notes and maybe something from three weeks ago. And it was that point that I realized the kind of bigger benefit as well of there are things that if I hadn't have written, like taken the time to write those things down, that had kind of just vanished from my head. And I maybe wouldn't have noticed that trend. And because I've taken the time to just write that thing down and observe it, like be very, very conscious of that thing, as opposed to it being something just passive and, and ephemeral. It just kind of drifts through and, and it's gone. Being Making that conscious, conscious effort to join those dots becomes a lot easier. Um, certainly did for me. I don't know if you found a similar thing, especially doing a day-to-day reflection. It's, it's interesting you say that because I think what I've found from doing it, two things, the idea of, you know, just comparing notes from previous days, you can personally reflect so what I then do at the end of the week is actually listen back to some of them throughout the whole week. I can, I can see the dots joining up um, on a full reflection. But as you say, when you're trying to in the mode of going, right, today, 
I'm going to do that thing I talked about three days ago or today I had a situation again like the other day and I've learned not to do it this time and so I think there's two angles to that yeah rather than doing it iteratively and then big bang sort of approach it it does give you an opportunity to kind of realize what you're doing and what the benefits of it are of doing that and I do encourage people to do this to be honest you know it's the week notes is a nice text-based format that you know you can sit down and think about structuring it maybe give it a bit of structure or something um and it's really easy to get that out on a blog audio is getting easier but you know it's nowhere near as streamlined as it could be <laughs> yeah it's uh it's certainly one of those that yeah, i think you uh you i think it's quite good just to um just just to take what comes easier to you as well i know yourself you do quite a lot of with audio generally so it's one of those formats that you're very aware of and, and easier access to and that kind of thing yeah for me i'd be it's it's much easier for me to just smash out a few words and then just go oh that'll do and that was so that was the other challenge was especially the first few weeks sustaining it was quite difficult in the first few weeks i guess it's a bit like anything habitual first few weeks was really difficult because it was massively self-critical like is this the right thing is this what people want to read and then I sort of became a bit more selfish with it. I was just like, I kind of, with the best intention, don't really care if this is what people want to read. It's kind of for me. So there, have that. Um, and that was it. And, then, and and weirdly, as soon as I did that, I actually got better feedback from people. Um, so the more people started to say to me uh, or ask me questions about what I'd written or say, oh, we, we had something like that. Or can you tell me a bit more about this other thing? And some of it was transparency with the team as well. So there's an awful lot of stuff that was happening that a lot of the rest of my team didn't see. And because they didn't see it, uh, they start to question what I do on a day-to-day basis. Whereas it was another way of making some of that other stuff visible to say, all this other stuff is in my head and you don't experience it firsthand. But if you're interested, this is what it's all about. And it's, it's kind of a, almost a, an opt-in way of people finding out all the other things that, that I've been having to, to mess about with. That's interesting. It really is. I, I love the fast. It's fascinating how people have taken this opportunity to write for their own benefit. Like you just said, who's this for? Is it for me or for an audience? And I, I think you've got to remember, you know, before blogs, what did people do? They'd write in diaries. And they wouldn't want their diaries shared or published generally. Memoirs would come out maybe when they're dead or something, but... I don't write for other people. I write for me. And it's, it's the same for tweets, Instagrams, all the other things. I post things for my benefit. If anyone else likes it, great. But I'm not out for the likes and the shares. I just want me to have that opportunity to post stuff. Do you find it similar? Yeah, I think you can. It's certainly interesting. It's one of those things that people in that space who are maybe, again, a bit of a contentious space, but, but people that are trying, making a career out of that kind of space about uh, sharing things that people like and, and influencing people. It's quite interesting because a lot, if you delve into any of those uh, areas, a lot of the advice there is about people being much more authentic and honest with themselves and everything else, and that gets far better reach and, and interest. And weirdly, I think if you start from that space, a bit like starting from a kind of customer services and, and moving into to kind of service delivery roles, I think that that authenticity and that just like this is for me kind of attitude I think could just serve a much more sustainable aspect to your to your own mental health more than anything else. Like if it's, if you if you start from a place where I actually don't care how many thing how many people like this thing or share this thing, it is for me and it is honestly and authentically me, and and so be it. And whatever happens, happens. That for me 
is a much healthier space to be in from a mental health point of view than than this kind of desperation seeking approval side which is maybe a bit too strong a language but it, it i think once once it escalates it, it does become that uh that desperation that that, that reassurance and and I think it leads to a dip in self-confidence. And I think that's, again, that's the weakness. Weakness for me really helped my self-confidence because, A, it got a lot rid of, uh, rid of a lot of the clutter from my head, but it also gave me that little moment of acknowledging all the good we were doing. So knowing with that reassurance of actually, say, if it was just a diary, that's what I'd write. And, and thankfully, I'm in a good enough headspace to just say, I don't really care who reads this because actually I'm hoping it kind of encourages other people to be honest with themselves and, and as open as they feel comfortable being. And I think that's a pretty, I, I hope certainly for me, that's a relatively healthy attitude to take with it. I mean, I'm glad you brought up mental health there actually, because uh, I noticed in one of your recent week notes, you talked about burnout. You noticed that you were, how did that, ha- has it happened before? And is, how, how, are you, how are you aware of this now? Because it's, it's really reassuring that you know, you can observe this in yourself as well. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, on the practical note, I notice it because I struggle to concentrate for very long periods. And I, I find this paralysis of like this overwhelming amount of things I feel I'm ob- obligated to do. But yeah, I'm not doing any of them. And I think weak notes to a degree helps, helped me acknowledge it quicker this time. But also I've got a really, really good bunch of people, trusted people around me that I spend an awful lot of my energy retaining those relationships and testing those relationships. It sounds slightly Machiavellian, but consciously kind of being aware of the people that I take my advice from in a really selfish note. Like, who do I listen to and who do I not? Whose opinion do I respect in certain scenarios and who, who do I don't? That, I think that for me is a big part of it. It's being very, putting a lot of energy into self-awareness, knowing your normal habits, knowing what motivates you, what doesn't. For me, people lift me up. People give me energy. And I think it's just on a, a slight tangent there is like, that's one of, I think, the biggest misconceptions that I've come across. And people understanding the difference between extroverts and introverts is, is not actually, an extrovert doesn't mean people talk a lot. Um, an extrovert is also can also be someone who is very very quiet but gets their energy from other people so if you get your energy from solitude and thinking in your own head that's much more introverted behavior but you might still be quite comfortable talking in public and discussing things and this kind of stuff it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean because you're an introvert you talk a lot or you're really loud or you're in people's spaces it might just be where you get your energy from. For me, that that self-awareness part in, in those areas is a, is a big part of it, is spending time on me and going, right, what are my normal behaviours? What drives me? And what are good situations for me to be in? And when, when that gets disrupted, I know to be a lot more aware of it um, and to probably make myself less vulnerable at that time and kind of recover a bit like an athlete. Like you wouldn't constantly run 100-meter sprint after 100-meter sprint you, you need breaks between those things and acknowledging whether you're a 100 meter sprinter or a marathon runner or somewhere in between is, is a good basis for starting to understand yourself. And for me, I acknowledged it through some of those things of just knowing what my norms were and seeing differences in those, but also seeing some massive changes in my own personal life and saying, right, at this point, I need to shift priorities. 
Um, so work for a little while, work has to be less of a priority than my home life um, because my family need me or I've got this other thing come along that, that is new and important as well. And all those changes factor into to whether I'm burnt out or how much energy I've got. There's two things you mentioned there that I want to go into now. So what number one with your family? I know you're a family man. You, you're married with a child, I think. Is it one child? Yeah, and, and another one on the way. Oh, wow. Oh, well. So you need to be aware of your capacity quite a lot now then. Yeah. Um, yeah, on that as well. I know that you also do um, a postgrad. So you, you've, you've got this course going on. You've got a child with another one on the way. Loads of work going on. How the hell do you balance all this stuff out between? You know, do, do you give yourself schedules or... You know, is it just, do we blag it? Uh, schedules is a start. So uh, I guess this is one of the things that I've probably learned the most about, or I feel like I've learned the most, not about the topic, but certainly about myself in the last couple of years. Um, so being able to do that, certainly having our first child, like took the earth from underneath me in terms of priorities. I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. Um, suddenly everything I cared about, certainly for the first few months, was like, completely flipped on its head um nothing else mattered but that little boy to a degree in those moments of of panic and catastrophe that would still be exactly the same so they'd they'd be the first thing i'd grab in my house in a fire as my family but in the same vein it's that i have to have a plan and a schedule and structure but i also have have kind of in the back of my mind that list of what do i care about the most what what do i what brings me complete love and and is is everything and what are the things that will come and go so in that respect i have same routine happens if i'm working from home or going to the office where i'll say goodbye to my family and close the office door and and try and pretend that my office is underground in a bunker somewhere and <laughs> and then nothing else exists which is always a challenge but yes yeah, it's quite a time box day but if people need me if something happens at home Thankfully, I'm in a position where, where work is relatively understanding and flexible, so I can, I can drop things and prioritise them anyway without too much of an impact. But, yeah, so I'll yeah, say, say goodbye, do morning routine with my son and my wife and say goodbye to them in the morning, whether that's from home or, or going into an office. Do a day, still speak to them over the day and keep in contact with them if they need anything, and then head home at some point or, or come out of a... A cave at home uh, and kind of that that time that there's sort of protected time in the evening for me which is the moment I step through the door or kind of close the laptop or whatever until my son is in bed that is my phone goes on do not disturb everything goes away I ignore everything and just I, like every night my my goal is to give my son a bath and put him to bed and do all those things and just be there whether that's we sit there and watch a TV show or we just have dinner or whatever it might be, that's protected at least two and a half, three hours of, of just home, family time, nothing else matters. And then once he's in bed, um, I do a couple of days a week on my postgrad at the minute in the evenings where that'll be, I'll spend an hour or so just with my wife uh, after my son's gone to bed, have that time to just settle down, um, see what's going on through the day, that kind of stuff. And then she'll watch a show on Netflix or go and do something else herself. And, and I'll do a couple of hours research and assignment writing and everything else a couple of days a week. And then finish up that 
I will probably watch a half hour, hour or something on Netflix or whatever, and and then that'll be the day done. And because it's only, I try and limit it to a couple of days a week, quite disciplined about that. Um, and she's really good at keeping me in check as well, where if I've kind of taken, been, been slack for a couple of days and she's like, you probably need to do something on that. So she's really supportive and encouraging as well, which helps hugely. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of my days. Is, is, there's a plan, but there's a lot of flex in there as well. And there's certain things that are just as protected as they can be. So that moment I step through the door to the moment my son's in bed, like nothing else. Sounds like you've got that routine licked now and it's taken a few years to get there. Yeah, and it's about to be completely blown apart by a second baby. That was my concern. <laughs> you've got, you found a, a, a nice routine. You've, you're fitting in work, family time, couple time, which is important, baby time, which is important. And then you've got another one coming. So, you know, I, I know from personal experience, the second one is a lot easier because you are familiar with what can happen. You're not, it's not going to be the same, but you are more prepared and you know where to spend your energy, which you've talked about a lot as well. So... I've got a lot of hope for you, but I know that <laughs> it's not always plain sailing. Oh, we, we, we know like plans and actual delivery, right? It's, there's going to be some, uh, some differences there. But yeah, hopefully we've, we've learned an awful lot. And we know certainly for like first three to six months is just going to be that learning of the new arrival anyway. It's going to be that learning all over again. I guess the, the only thing I can go with is, is it's hopefully just getting the new balance whatever that new normal is is to just work out that and and that's 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 where it has to go and that's that's the only answer we can really have nice so with that in mind you've got a baby on the way you you've got a full day as it is there's a third element to this podcast and it's about side projects and i know you've recently taken on board uh, a new side project uh do you want to tell us a bit about that what where that came from and you know why <laughs> yeah so there is a slight caveat this it sounds completely insane to start a side project as well as all the, these other things and maybe it is i don't know time will tell but the side project is thankfully a bit of an extension of the postgrad as well so there's there's a way i could kind of make both work i'm kind of getting uh contribution to my research and and my postgrad by doing a side project but also planning that side project in such a way where it could evolve into something that would hopefully give us as a family some sort of sec- like secondary income and kind of backup sort of thing as a project uh it came from seeing a bit of a pattern in a few friends of mine but ultimately it is a service piece of software to help particularly aimed at freelancers but not freelance like web designers like freelancers in a sense of like my brother teaches guitar my friends a swimming teacher people who perhaps offer a service themselves but also have similar to this podcast they're trying to balance their own life and work um, but their business is maybe taking up their own calendar so it's an acknowledgement that your personal calendar and your work calendar are actually one and the same. They're, they're more blended than ever. So for someone like um, the guitar tutors I know and the various music teachers I know, a lot of, a lot of friends of mine teach, teach music or singing in some, some sort of capacity. And there's a few friends of mine who are swimming teachers or run venues, like they run event spaces and stuff. So their their work calendar and their personal calendar are basically the same thing so enabling their users their customers the people that they teach or support or run 
uh, to self-administer their booking. So to book swimming lessons or guitar lessons with them in conflict and the inconsistencies of a personal calendar is quite difficult. And it seems to be a fairly common problem. And I, I saw it come out of the headache a few friends of mine were having with planning their like their lesson plans for a week or planning a term's worth of swimming lessons with their students and stuff. It's quite difficult because they're like, well, I'm on holiday that week or this person blocks in uh, books in like blocks of six weeks and it's a term time thing of a non-term time thing or they want to do every other Tuesday and these kinds of things. So yeah, it's kind of a, attempting a solution to that kind of problem in the self-serve for those kind of customers and coming up with your own schedule on such a flexible basis is incredibly difficult with the tools that are out there at the moment because a lot of them are designed for businesses like a full-on like I'm, a, I'm an SME um, with a sort of consistent schedule and multiple months of staff. Whereas if you're an individual, like you're just an individual, you're one person offering your skills and services out to people, but you don't want to kind of fix that schedule too much, there doesn't seem to be something that's actually doing that very well. So that's that's where it comes from. Uh, the trick for me at the moment, or the, the reason I'm kind of comfortable including that in what I'm doing is because my postgrad is in kind of leadership and management so that includes strategy and building a kind of plan for the future and really getting that nailed um so i'm trying to do that part of the moment which is helping towards the research of my first couple of assignments which is great but then actually producing the thing will be uh will be secondary to that so that's where it becomes a proper side project really at the moment it's informing research for my postgrad and hopefully going to turn into an actual living breathing functional service for people Oh, lovely. I'm glad it's got a link to your education as well, because it gives you that added motivation to do something. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it gives you an opportunity to learn along the process as well. Yeah, it's giving me a, giving me a critical eye as well. So coming from a uh, sort, of the sort of current module I'm doing is, is global strategy. So casting a critical eye over one assignment is about evaluating an existing business um so I've, I mean, i'm evaluating uber strategy at the moment for for my first assignment and the second assignment is kind of that introspective one of evaluating your own uh situation or project or business or team so yeah kind of being self-critical casting a critical eye of something i'm kind of feel quite passionately about is a skill i've not really had to explore that far because every idea i come up with is brilliant right the same way that every every idea that you come up with is outstanding Perfect. Because, because we all think that. So it's, a, it's quite a challenge for me to now, or quite exciting for me to be able to explore that critically, which is fun. And I like the fact it's time box as well, because you're you post-grad, you know, it's on an annual cycle. So, you know, you've, you've got to be hit something at that point. So it gives you the focus, I guess. Um, no, it's good. I'm glad you've, you've got an opportunity to do that as well, because it's finding something that you have observed is a, a problem, a real-world problem it's not been solved very well in your eyes uh you've got people you can actually speak to to get that feedback from as well and you've got you know that it scratches that knit itch of i want to make something i've got a day job which i enjoy i've got a family i love but i still like to make things as we talked about earlier i want that, that satisfaction of i've done that you know and that, i'll get you i'll get you on that feeling Cause, uh, similarly i'm in a tech lead role where i don't get to make stuff anymore i get to talk to people that make stuff which is hugely empowering, like we just said earlier, that energy of other people making stuff and, you know, enjoying that. But I still want to do something myself, hence the podcast, you know. Yeah. So that's cool, man. 
I think we've been through most of the topics now, but I was, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what's, what, if you could give one tip to anyone who's coming into the tech industry or just starting out, what would be your number one go-to tip for them? Oh, I think it's very easy to, I, I would probably say, certainly the advice I give, give a lot of people here, I think it, it stands to reason that, it, that it's probably more universally applicable, I'd hope anyway which is don't be too drawn in by the the new hotness, the new new hype curve thing. As, as we get more connected, as we have more relationships and more access to loads of different information and the rate of change increases, you go on Twitter and there's like a hundred different things you could, could pick up on and run with, right? There's a book I read, Execute, not too long ago. It's, it's, it'd still be around an ebook format. There's a great bit of advice in there, and I'm going to steal it for this. Learn a tool. doesn't actually matter what tool. So that might be your language. Like, pick a language and work, learn that super well. And just be, don't worry about the, the new framework that comes out, the, the next generation thing of, like, isn't this awesome? Don't worry about that. Try, try and be relatively disciplined on learning a thing, a tool, well. Master that. Because no matter what else happens, you've got that grounding. And you've got that thing to relate other things to. And actually, as things evolve, you can still be producing. If you, if you know your tool really, really well, you can produce an awful lot more quicker and execute repeatedly and consistently for people. And that'll, that'll be a really empowering, confidence-boosting thing because you're still able to, to deliver. So learn a tool well. And actually, whether you picked Ruby or JavaScript or python or whatever matters less at that point if at all so yeah that would be my thing it's like pick a thing doesn't matter what ignore other, other people and just learn that really really well and get on and make stuff i like that yeah pick one thing stick to it don't get distracted and use it and become a master of it as well because i think a lot of people feel like they need to be good at everything now especially when it comes to tech there's so much area so many areas to go into and you don't need to there are people out there that will do it with you. As long as you understand who to go to and what they actually do, that's fine. That's all you need. Just go off and then you use your skills in whatever you want to make. Because that means you'll enjoy it as well. I think so. And that's, I mean, that's testament to you, you look at kind of, you sort of alluded to there, like bringing people to, to work with as well. Like if you know that thing really well, people will be in demand of your skills. And for the areas that you're not so confident in or, or maybe haven't spent so much time in or haven't got so much experience to, there are communities of people out there who have those skills but don't have yours. And actually bringing those people together is a, is a real advantage and, and your testament to that in setting up uh, workspaces and communities and having a network of people that, all founded on that. I know how well, um, how well, and how long you've spent building some really great connections that are always there. Um, I know from my point of view, you, you starting kind of a Slack community not too long ago around bringing these people together um, and giving a space for, for people to just say, "Hey, I've got these skills. I really want to do this thing, but I need some help with design, or I need someone to help me build the back end of this thing." is is a massive advantage. Good. I'm glad you uh, touched on the uh, on the side community there as well because it's, it's that's one of the that's the, one of the main reasons I'm doing this podcast. I want people to realise that people want to make stuff on the side, but they struggle to focus. They struggle to finish. They struggle when it gets to like a blocking point. It's like who do I go to? I've got no one to talk to. It's my own baby. Um, and there are people that are doing that, but hopefully by having a bit of a community there to kind of go, I don't know the answer, but have you thought about going to these people or 
just get another perspective on it normally helps as well so that's cool man um final question really is what's the next big life goal for you work or play but i think we know where this is going survive the next six months uh yeah <laughs> is uh yeah just just complete so seeing through things through to completion is is i think a consistent thing for the next three three six months 12 months and beyond this is making sure all those things i've got in progress get nailed in in turn as it will be so i can't think any bigger than that at the moment. prioritized accordingly as well baby first oh, of course baby, baby first four. then some other stuff it'll happen yeah <laughs> excellent <laughs> right I think that's all. It's been great to have you on board. Uh, thanks ever so much for joining me this week. Have you got any advice to anyone out there that's listening, where they can get hold of you and what to keep an eye out for? Yeah, just just keep doing what you're doing. Be be kind to yourself, I would say. One, of the things, one thing that I try and remind myself regularly is it's maybe not that bad. Um, and I'm, I'm done bundled pretty much everywhere. So, yeah, hopefully Google will, will do its job. Uh, from that point but yeah thank you thank you for having me on it's it's always good to talk to you oh it's great to have you on board dude uh thanks for coming along no worries take care mate and maybe we can invite you along in the future for an update on things for all our listeners of the show please let us know your thoughts of this episode and all the other discussions i've had so far you can find me on twitter as at sci or you can email sci at jobling.com with your thoughts this podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most of the popular podcast apps. So make sure you subscribe and leave a rating or review for us. Pop along to sidejobbling.com slash make life work for all the series archives, show notes, and links for where to find everything we've discussed. If you'd like to come on the podcast to share your story, get in touch and we'll work something out. You can also join the side project community on the side by visiting on the side.network which will take you straight into our slack workspace that's all from me take care and we'll catch up again in a few weeks time